This is Lost in the Groove. Where we have really awesome and meaningful conversations week after week. Things that matter to you. It baffles me sometimes because for me personally, I I don't know if we we messages about this. I don't look hmm. Jewish by any means. And well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what does looking Jewish mean? Well, you know, like the the stereotypical Jewish look is like the big schnoz, you know, you think of like Barbara right. Streisand. <laughs> sure. But that is a great question like what what exactly does it mean to look Jewish? Like, what yeah. what what is that? Yeah, is there like a look? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there are for sure people that I have seen who are like, yeah, they are absolutely Jewish, and people that I've seen who are no, no chance they are Jewish, right? Now, of course, there's like certain. Well, th- this isn't even true either. I was going to say kind of people of different you know races across the world, but even then, you have plenty of black Jews. Um, I-, I don't know exactly what the history is. Are they kind of through converts or are they kind of, do they have their own tradition going back decades or centuries? I, I don't know. But, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, look at my, like, um, you know, I'm Sephardic. Right. Um, and a lot of us are dark skin and we look like Arabs. Yeah. A lot of right. us, uh, we yeah. are Arabs in yeah. a way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it just has to do with our culture. A lot of Sephardi Jews, we've only been to one or two countries in the past 2000 right. years. Right. So we look the way that we are because of our ancestors, you yeah. know, compared to European Jews that were in Europe and it's cold and harsh climates. Yeah. And you have that change over time. Yeah. Plus, um, it's an intermarriage or conversion. Um, for the, oh, yeah. for the, I know you're talking about like the Indian, uh, like the black Jews, like from Ethiopia and areas like that. Yeah. 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 Like for sure, kind of there was always wherever the Jews were, there was kind of some mixing in of the local, the local gene pool, right? Of course, everybody's got to get uh, their little, you know, they're got to get their frisk on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. But, I, I I don't know how uh, kind of maybe not politically correct because I like to think of myself as politically correct, but I don't know how kind of risque you are on this podcast. I uh, honestly like. You, my policy is who gives a shit. You know, like one thing about <laughs> one thing about like, especially when you're dealing with Jewish culture that people don't get is we are a bunch of scavengers, rebels, mm. and refugees. Right. I mean, yeah. all we do is run and like they're gonna murder us. <laughs> no, that's a, that's what we've been doing for hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like hardwired in our DNA. It's like. He's a Nazi. Why? Because yeah. he's German. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is this collective trauma, right, of all of the kind of persecutions and and like for sure there is a lot of it is not justified, but a lot of it is, right. Now the question is kind of what is that boundary? Now my my own grandparents on my mother's side were Holocaust survivors. And I, I kind of grew up with my mum and grandparents in the same home. And some of that absolutely seeped into me, into my psyche. Um, at the same time, there is this, you know, what you get a lot in the Haredi world, this like, oh, he's a guy, therefore he must be anti-Semitic. When or we he, say um, 
Sorry for cutting yeah. you off. When we say, so we're going to use some terms in this mm. podcast. I know a lot of people are yes, probably not going to understand yes. what we're saying. So first word today, all you wonderful children, <laughs> uh, is Haredi. Haredi means yes. ultra-Orthodox. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Some people, I, I think, have kind of finicky conditions. Oh, no, only Israelis are Haredi, which makes zero sense to me. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my, yeah, uh, I don't even have to say it. Right. Um, yeah, but so you have these kind of Hasidic, I don't know if your viewers have seen Hasidic people, if they know what they are, but one particular stream of the, of the ultra-Orthodox world where they are so hyper-attuned to this alleged anti-Semitism, which is everywhere. And a lot of the reason for that is because it's told to them in school or which is kind of the uh, the version of the school that has zero secular education whatsoever. Cheder, uh it's funny that you bring that up because the term cheder, which anybody's curious, it just means a place of learning. That's what, what mm. a cheder is. Uh, it all stems from this, again, going back to this idea of survival. You know, when mm. we think about Europe, you're talking about Hasidim, which if anybody's curious, we're talking about... Russian, Romania, Moldova, Hungary, parts of Poland, yeah. that kind of area of Europe, they grew up in shtetls and ghettos. Yeah. So they had this constant thing of being around barbed walls, you know, yeah. learning in secret, uh, being out and, and worried. This trauma has, you know, like you said, it's, I don't know. Like what? Three, four hundred years? Probably longer. Yeah, probably longer. I mean, you know, going back to the Romans, kind of, there's been persecution. We were a convenient minority, a convenient scapegoat minority for all sorts of things. Yeah, I right? mean, they were they, they were bored of the gays and the the whores. You know, they, they had they needed to yeah, have a new sport. Sure. I'm being serious, um, by the way. I'm not joking. Right. right yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, we're different and we dress different and we don't believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen, uh, well, hallelujah. Right, so, oh, well, they're kind of, you know, nobody cares if we persecute them a bit here and there. It's uh, it's strange because, you know, you're mentioning with your, um, with your grandparents being Holocaust mm. survivors. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of what people think of the Jewish community today, it's actually quite new here in the U.S., mm. Uh, it started actually, I, I get, you can hate me as much as you want. It started from Holocaust survivors that mm. were traumatized. Yeah. I mean, shit, can you imagine what these people went through in five years? Yeah. No one yeah. can imagine. And they got brainwashed. And they, yeah, these rabbis and rebbes, yeah. they, in a way, in a very bold way of saying this, they, they kind of built their own concentration camps here in the U.S., Oof, that is, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't put it like that, but I see where you're coming from. The idea, not the actual act. Sure, yeah. So when we say an and, idea, meaning we're, the purpose, the thing about a concentration camp is not just a Nazi thing. A concentration camp is a place where you take people and you break them down to the mm, lowest point that they are. Some right. people will die and some people will survive. When we talk about this type of environment in a society, we're talking about an environment where you break people down to a point where you can control them, like a right. like a needle 
that sews the fabric and holds mm. the pieces together. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I think intent, of course, plays a, a massive part here because, you know, the Nazis were absolutely out to murder and destroy, like no shadow of a doubt. The Haredi kind of resurgence in in the US and, and even elsewhere in the world, but I think the US and Israel are, are kind of the two of the main focal points in in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were like, I mean, I think a lot of it is just from this trauma, like we lost so much in the Holocaust, let's rebuild what we have. But through that single-mindedness, there's no space for humanity, no space for individual expression. It's just, we have so much catching up to do. And of course you can't catch up on 6 million lives lost. So it's kind of the needs of the collective of the group far supersede any individual. And it's just, yeah, like your individual ambitions, your individual desires don't matter. There's no space for people being themselves. It's no. just, we are rebuilding. You need to get married as young as possible and have as many children as possible because that's the way we will try to somehow make up for what happened. It's interesting because I, I I grew up in Muncie, New York. Wow. Okay. I've been to Muncie um, once. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I mean I I technically grew up in Suffern, but because it was in you know they they called Muncie, mm. and my parents were interracial. My my dad was from Morocco, and my mom is third mm. generation. She grew up in Williamsburg. Wow. And my parents' relationship, you know, you have to. Again, this is from my experience. I'm going to make this very clear to anyone that's listening to this. Any fucking television show you're going to watch is going to be biased as shit. Because yeah, every course. single one of us that has left is going to give you a different experience. Yeah, It's yeah. just reality of the situation. My experience was because my dad was not white... He was not very well accepted because I yeah. was not very white. I wasn't very accepted in the community yeah. to begin with. And that idea of rebuilding what we lost, but that single-mindedness allowed, in a way, this close-mindedness yeah. to not accept anyone, hmm. to only accept the right. purest of the pure. Right. You know? I remember, yeah. oh, I had a teacher that once told me, he says, you know, it's as, it's as beautiful as the esteric that has a beautiful pitum, you know, the perfect pitum. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> they're fuckers. You know, but it's kind of like that idea where the, they have the, the little stem on the top is just so perfect. Yeah. and it's, what, it's What was the point he was making with this analogy? Because there's a, an analogy in, I forgot where it was, that in when you're having an esteric, yeah. you know, it... If the pitum is bent in any shape or form, yeah. it's puzzle. Which puzzle yeah. means it's bad. It's not accepted. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's worth taking a step back and explaining what an esteric is in the first place. Oh, I'm sorry. Because we've got so many layers of context <laughs> deep here. <laughs> um, an esteric is it's actually a Citroen. It's a uh, comes from the lemon family, and yeah. it's a symbolic part of one of a Jewish holiday. That mm. I did that so simple. Oh my god, I'm so yeah, smooth. Um, but there's this thing that the symbolic item, the stem on the top of the citroen has to be perfect. It can't yeah. be bent. It can't be turned. It can't be cracked. So his analogy is, is that it doesn't matter about the fruit. Hmm. Okay. What matters is 
What's the stem? It's what connects it to its life. It's where it gets its nutrients from the tree. Mm. So there's a deeper meaning behind it of it's not about a situation. You know, it's nothing to do with a situation or an asterisk. Yeah. It has to do is where you're removing life and you're checking okay. at its impurities. Right. So he was saying that, so how did that relate to you? What, what was he, what was he giving this thing to you for? Because shield? unfortunately in the community that I was raised, being Sephardic, we were viewed as, again, I, this is what they say. In some way we're, we're considered like the pure Jews because we, we can trace our, I can trace my lineage mm. 2,000 years in the past. Right. A lot of Jewish groups can't do that. And there is this form of jealousy that builds up between those groups, and then you end up where, in my case, oh, so you're Sephardic. Oh, so you think you're better than us. So there's right. there's inner wars in the community itself, not just outside. Yeah. Interesting. When I was growing up, so I grew up in, in Antwerp, Belgium. I lived down until I was... Uh, oh, wow. I thought you were from England. No, I've, I've lived here. I'm 32 now. I lived, I kind of moved over. I was kind of in Yeshiva when my family moved from Belgium to the UK. So that was around age 17 or so. Um, although by that point, I've been in Yeshiva in the UK in Gated actually for a year. So um, oh, wow. yeah, I, I guess I was kind of, you know, exposed to English, not English culture, but like the Jewish community in, in the UK uh, from a young age. So yeah, uh, some of your listeners may detect an accent. I can hear the accent very clearly, kind of the non-British accent, the Belgian accent. Either way. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, damn. Oh, I can hear. Oh, no. Why did you do? No, why did you do that? <laughs> going to be listening out for it now. Yes, I will. Um, yeah. So anyway, kind of when I was growing up, I didn't really know that many Sephardic people. Um, so I, I kind of never really. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is a really interesting interpretation that you've given me, kind of like that it comes from a deep seated jealousy, because I being a young kid, as I was at the time, I didn't have any of this background. It wasn't, this wasn't a thought process in my mind. It was just, oh yeah, the Sephardim, they're like a bit different. And like, ooh, I don't know, they're like almost like closer to Arabs and the from, you know, religious Haredi community doesn't like well, even, that you know, you, group very much. You mentioned earlier, I mean, when, when we say, in, sorry, when we say in our community, mm. um, Haredi, like, ultra-Orthodox, it's very different. What we call Orthodox is yeah. different than what you call or Orthodox in in Sephardic terms means modern Orthodox. Right. Then you right. have mid-Orthodox, which is, you know, more of what you're used to, like the Yeshivish. Yeah. And there's ultra-Orthodox, which what we call are usually like um, like Mamon, like almost like you know, part of like the the the, the rabbis in the Sephardic community, right. like those families, like the yeah, very, yeah. very, very yeshivish. Right. But it's, to be honest, like Ashkenazi and Sephardi, it's two, we have two completely different worlds, two completely yeah. different problems. Yeah. 
and it's funny with the same people, but it's yeah. I mean, this is just human nature, isn't it? Unfortunately, to, to like, yeah. Go for a cliche, no matter how small the group, the community, there'll always be something that you can find that's different between two halves of that group. And now, oh, there's an us and there's a them. It's it's all uh, you know. Just there's always an us and a them. It's like this goes back hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, you know, there's nothing new about this. Um, but yeah, it's sad when you look at it from the outside and how much the Jewish people have suffered historically. Like, surely we should be pretty tight and not care anymore about all of these arbitrary distinctions. And yet, I, I mean, it's strange. How was, in your own words, what exactly is you know the Jewish community in Antwerp? Hmm. Again, I was pretty young by the time I left and actually went to a yeshiva still in Antwerp, but kind of the, the outskirts. So I felt I'd been kind of like separated from the main community there by age like 14. Um, uh, but my impression was this may be wrong. This may be uh, a kind of reflection of my own just family upbringing. It was quite a small community and it always felt like nobody really wanted to be there. People were always kind of on the lookout for an escape. A lot of Antwerpians marry Brits, Americans, Israelis, and often kind of move to those places. Wow. And the way I felt about it was that it's always seen as a kind of lifeline. Like, yes, I can finally move to London or New York or whatever it is. Like, like it didn't have a critical enough size. It wasn't big enough for people to, like for it to be self-serving, for people to see a future for themselves in the religious community. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, it baffles it baffles me. I, you know, I remember I lived in Israel actually for four years. Mm. And I remember my first was exposure. Was this when you were still religious? No. So, I, okay. so I'll tell you something. It's funny. I left, I left the community in 2017 um, okay. wow. after an ayahuasca trip. Uh, that's, that's a oh, wow. story, yeah, okay. story we can have a little later. Uh, okay. And then me being me, I was like, all right, fuck it. I want to go on a journey. So I moved to Israel. Out of all places, I moved to Israel. Wow. And that was the first time I was exposed to English Jews. Right. I cried a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> at, at what? <laughs> they're, very, um, they're very straightforward and very blunt mm. in their opinions. Right. So like... Right. You get into any topic like relates to Judaism, they'll snap right back at you, like in a matter of seconds. Can you give uh, an example? Like we were talking uh, about Kashras. Okay. And I mentioned that you know, uh, you know, with Sfardim, you know, we we only check, you know, the pipe, and that's it. We don't have to check the full lung. There's no need for it. Mm. And then one guy snapped at me. So he's like, oh, so you've been eating tray for your whole life. Is that what you're trying to tell me? And I, I was like, no. I mean, I, I assumed I kept kosher and, you know, up until right. a, a certain point. But it's just like that was like one yeah. example that, that came right. to mind. So do you feel like this is a uniquely British thing? I think so. I mean, the New York Jewish community, we are... My personal opinion, not everyone's mm. like this. Only certain groups. Very self-centered. Very racist. Mm. Very yeah. racist. Yeah. Sexist yeah. to the full standard. So 
if I would have a conversation like that with somebody from New York in the community, no. I think it'd be a little bit like they were like, oh, well, that's not what we hold or something, right. something right. along those lines. Yeah. Okay, but in a way that's more tolerant, right? Okay, it's not our way, but it's a valid way as well. I guess. Whereas the British way is more kind of absolutist, like there is kosher and there is trafe and yours is the latter. <clears throat> Honestly, I feel in a way that English Jews are more honest mm. because you know exactly how they feel. Right. Uh, which, you know, is one thing that I, I kind of always, I kind of always find fascinating about English culture is they're, they're going to tell you how they feel. Like they're not, <laughs> they're not going to hold themselves back. Right. But then I ask myself the same question is, if you have this type of mentality, especially northern, you know, people from northern England, mm. tough, hardworking. I mean, these people are yeah. to the bone. Yeah. How do they get caught in, up into this? How do they, I mean, is it to the point where the brainwashing works all the way to those kind of people? Is It just baffles me. Yeah. Are you talking about people who converted to Judaism or people no, who I'm talking about people that are part of, you know, people that are part of the community. Right. How did that even, how did that even, even become a thing? How did they manage That's... to even stick? I mean, how massive is the community to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in Manchester, which is the second biggest community in the UK, it's, it, it's pretty big. Um, I'm not very good at numbers estimating people, but it, it's, it's big enough to be self-sustaining and to have different kind of sub-communities. Oh, I see. Um, oh, okay. yeah. The Haredi community is also massive in in Manchester, um, and there's a bit of a smaller modern Orthodox community there. Um, yeah, London is. I live in London. I actually lived in Manchester for ten years after moving to the UK, and only moved down to London when I met my now wife about five years ago. London is much nicer in terms of being Jewish because. There's, there's just more space to kind of maybe getting lost is is the wrong word, but like people just don't care that much. There's so many different kinds of people that you don't have to be part of like either this group or that group. You know, people just do their own thing a bit more. And I think there's more of that kind of metropolitan, like open-mindedness where like, yeah, there are loads of weird people. Like, do I really care? Like, does it affect my life if someone dresses in this way or that way? Um, so, so I quite like that seeing, well, especially in my current situation, which is off the derech, <laughs> if your listeners know what that means, which is... OT, we, we call ourselves OT, OTDs. Yes. Not STDs, not <laughs> STDs, <laughs> no. OTDs. Yes. Um, which is kind of people who have left the one true path of, of Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. Um yeah, so I kind of stopped believing quite a while ago, but I'm still married to, well, my wife is still religious, modern Orthodox, but religious. And, you know, we go to a local synagogue. So it's kind of like, a, I feel like I'm on the knife's edge of like both worlds. And actually, I think it kind of works for me. I think I get the benefits of being in the community um, with the benefits of doing what I want during the week. You know, eating non-kosher food, all of that kind of thing. I mean, again, it really, it really comes down to, um, really comes down to your environment. You know, like for example, you're lucky you're able to find that place yeah, where sure. you're able to get yourself a little bit lost. I mean, yeah. For me personally, I, I, I am a proud New Yorker, and um, mm. I, I'll never go back. 
simply mm. because everyone judges you. Yeah. Everyone watches you. It, it's yeah. really it's really funny. I remember. See, um, I have a little bit. My mom is is from the community. She was brainwashed for forty five years. Unfortunately, you know, yes. and with everything that's been going on, and I, it's just been insane. My mom, we got her down here, and her whole life has been able to turn down. I mean, I'm in Florida currently. Right. Um. But one thing that always baffled me is not only my mom telling me this, but from other members is where where I grew up. People watch every single thing yeah. you do, yeah. Yeah. everything. Yeah. How yeah. do you feel? How do you feel comfortable in your yeah. own skin? You're you're yeah. you're always worried about what person's going to say what and how they're going to mm-hmm. say it and where they're going to say it and why yeah. they're going to say it. Yeah, I, I think a good word to describe the Haredi community is totalitarian. Not in the sense that it's imposed by the state, but that it's totalitarian. It encompasses everything about your life. I mean, literally, there's, you know, strict halacha, kind of the actual, um, let's say, legally obligated, legally legal rules that everyone is obligated to follow, according to Orthodox Judaism. Even just the legal rules are determine every single moment of, of your life from the moment you get up even before then you're meant to sleep in certain positions you're meant to put on your shoes sleeping. a certain way but oh, yeah, your sure. button your yeah. shirts i'm actually doing it the correct way you see oh <laughs> uh, yes excellent uh, i got a mitzvah um, oh thank jesus right uh, um you're meant to start sleeping on your left side and then halfway through the night you're meant to turn onto your right side now, who nobody is, was really. Who has fucking time for that, man? Right, yeah. Um, but God forbid you sleep on your back, or God forbid even more, you sleep on your front, because that might lead to the worst of all possible scenarios, which is a nocturnal emission. God forbid such a natural bodily occurrence happens to you. Um, it, it's, it's completely totalitarian. Every single moment of your life, everything you do. And this I found baffling. In that community, they say this with pride. A Jew knows what he has to do every moment of every day. Like, this is a good thing. I remember thinking, even when I was very much in that world, like, I want some freedom. I want some breathing space. I want some space for individuality to just be me for a bit. Not to have to fucking adhere to this relentless machine of... of, Worship, or I, I don't even know what it is. It's not worship because there's no spirituality in it. There's no spirituality when you put on your right shoe before your left shoe and tie the left laces before the right. It's just nonsense. And not only that, even according to them, this all comes at the expense of spirituality. Because when everything is so, so regimented and rigorous, there's no space to actually connect with the divine, with any of that. Right, which should surely be the main focus of religion. Yeah, well, I, I can talk I, about this for hours. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I remember. Um, I, by the way, I have I have a love and hate relationship with Breslovers. Now, specifically mm. the Balchuva Breslovers, they're right. the most fun people. Like they're they're mm. like, they're like the if anybody's curious, they're like the equivalent of Jewish hippies in the <laughs> religious world. Yeah. They yeah. do weed. They do acid with each. I mean, these these fuckers like will go to shul like completely baked. I've seen it. <laughs> I've been in a shul like this before. Amazing. And 
I remember once I, I we I had a bonfire. This was in, in northern Israel, and they were playing guitar, and we we're having a good time. We we're passing around joints with our titsis on. <laughs> That's serious. Just a pair of titsis, a pair of you know Nickelbacker, and just a pair of the black shoes, and that's all they needed. Ah, 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 ah. That's all they wore. And he looked at me, and he says, he says, "Woe to our sages, for we ever reach the levels of highness they reached." And I was looking at him. I'm like, oh, you know, such a be- be- beautiful chiddush. Yeah. So the guy looks over. He says, Shlomi, what do you think? You think they, they snorted ayahuasca up their butts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, I was sitting there and I was like, these are religious people. <laughs> but to them, you know, they see the truth in it where these sages... These mm. people that wrote all, they were high, yeah. extremely high. Yeah. There's so many research and information we've learning from archeo- like archaeology and like from history to know a lot of these people were on drugs when they were yeah. writing their texts. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. The yeah. problem is the people that are reading it are sober. <laughs> they need to be and I'm being serious if you you know what I did this once I got um, I was on acid and a friend of mine he brought out a chumash first page what Bereshith Baralekim and you know what I understood from it after mm. like I was like oh my god this is about the big bang yeah because yeah. if you really think about it yeah that's what it's talking about it's talking about the big bang yeah. and then when you think about Adam and Eve I'm like, oh my God, the first two atoms make life. Adam and interesting. Eve. Uh, interesting, right. You know, like you have right. the, you have like, for example, an atom has its neutrons and protons. Yeah. The two pieces then colliding and then re- yeah. you have a whole different perspective. Again, what we read and what we learn can be yeah. interpreted any way you please. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like when people, maybe on the more modern orthodox side of things, where they kind of have a bit of this creative interpretation, where like, yeah, Borisius, um could be talking about the Big Bang, all these sorts of things. What I really dislike is the Haredi mentality, which is like, no, no Big Bang. It says the world was created in six days. So that's literally how it happens. It's like, dude, we have so much knowledge now, you know, and, and the... The founder of the Hasidic movement, right, the Balshemtov, he was, from what I've read, from what I've heard, he seemed to be someone incredibly creative, incredibly in touch with himself and with a free spirit in many ways. And he'd be embarrassed by what the Hasidic world has become today. You you know, it's so funny because this language the Torah is written in, okay, Mm. at this point, it's probably about seven to eight thousand years old. Okay, yeah. people seven to eight thousand years ago, they had a very different way of how they spoke to each other than we did. Yeah. What yeah. they called pillars is not the same thing we called pillars. What they called days was very. What I can't understand is why doesn't anybody understand? You're taking something that's almost eight thousand years together, everyone. Eight thousand years old. Do you know what happened 8,000 years? People were drawing on caves. People were hunting lions. Yeah. How can we understand a language? We barely understand hieroglyphics. 
barely. Yeah. How do we understand a language like that? It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like the way people thought about things was completely different. Completely different. Exactly. Different concepts, different ideas, different entirely alien ways of looking at the world. So it's not, yeah, it's not even about the language. It's about the concepts. Even if you can map a, an ancient word to a modern one, you're missing all of the subtext and all of the 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 meanings and the associations with other ideas that that word brings with it. Yeah. Oh, my God. If we really... If we really boil it down, all Jews are... Is a bunch is a bunch of people that were from a specific place that moved yeah. to a specific place and then yeah. left and then spread. <laughs> we're 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 just uh, it's just a name, and it's it's so crazy when the first time I ever met a Palestinian, mm. I had a four hour conversation with Arak. <laughs> And hookah, and it was fucking awesome, you yeah. know. Just tearing down that wall, and I'm like, I don't give a fucking shit. He's a Palestine. I don't care. Yeah. Who cares? He's just we, a human being. We, 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 we all want the same thing. We create these invisible. You know what it is? It's invisible walls. Mm. They don't exist. Yeah. You see, yeah. just go right through. What do you mean? Just walk. Yeah, yeah. It won't hurt you. But I think we underestimate these invisible groups and things at our peril. Like they are incredibly powerful. Just the like you say, there's very little that makes a Jew a Jew. Like, do we really have that much in common with each other? How much genes do Ashkenazim and Sfarim really have in common? Right? Uh, barely, no- barely nothing. Right? We probably have more in common. Well, I, as an Ashkenazi Jew, probably have more in common with. I don't know, just the average Belgian than I have with a Saudi person. <gasps> but, I feel, <laughs> but I feel much more intimately connected with a Saudi person because of the shared story, the shared history, the shared experiences. There's nothing physical or genetic about it. It's just these stories are incredibly powerful. And that's, that's what drives humanity forward. Right? We see the world within these terms. It's crazy, though. It's crazy to, you know, I I always wonder to myself, why my dad stuck, no offense, why my dad stuck around a bunch of white people, just a bunch of white Ashkenazim <laughs> all the time. I'm like, yeah. you know, my dad had customs and cultures and his mother yeah. tongue was French. Yeah. And I said, why aren't you around like Moroccans and Algerians yeah. and Tunisians? And every single time my dad was around Svartan, he just, he lit up. He could speak Hebrew. He could speak yeah. his French. He could, it baffled me. And then yeah. I realized that's what brainwashing and cults do. Right. They, they, you know, we mentioned the invisible wall, but that invisible wall is so powerful. Why? They create this network of once you're in, yeah. you can't leave. Yeah. Why can't you leave? Don't ask that question. Yeah. What, uh, can I move here? No, you can't. Yeah. Can I marry this person? No. Everything's all, controlled. All Everything. of these questions have answers. But they do. 
Oh, well, no, but you can't move there because then you'd be outside of the community. <gasps> What's wrong with that? Well, well, you couldn't travel on the Sabbath to the synagogues. All of these things, it's this self-reinforcing system where these rules reinforce these rules. And the out- outcome is you have to live in the same place. You have to dress the same way. You have to eat the same things. You can't read outside knowledge. You can't eat outside food. Just all of these things. It's self-reinforcing can't take away my cheeseburger. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Don't you dare. No, I mean, um, it's... Yeah. yeah. I, the thing is, you can't reason with these people on their terms because no. there's always a reason for something. And this is something I found incredibly frustrating when I've engaged in debates on, you know, online on Facebook, which I've been doing quite... It's quite addictive, <laughs> to be honest. They um, are. Some are quite open-minded, some are modern orthodox, and there is a shared language. And then we can talk as human beings with mostly the same values, and then it's just, what is the priority? Um, is truth the priority? Second. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Give me a second. Hold on. Goddamn neighbor's dog is ridiculous. Oh. Well, I didn't hear anything. No, there was, a, there was a dog at the door, and I was like, what? Huh? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, um, I mean, yeah. you're, what you're saying is so true. It really yeah. is. I mean, that, that kind of like you were saying, like a ripple, like, you know, mm. because of this, because of that, and then because of, you know, of the other yeah. thing. Yeah. You're yeah. stuck. Um, yeah. So like I was saying in the modern Orthodox world, at least there's a shared language and some people prioritize kind of pragmatic reasons. Well, this is what my family does, my community does. And I think that's good enough. Right. Fine. I, I disagree. Um, I think truth is truth. And if there's no good truthful reason to believe that any of this is true, well, I'm just not going to do it. But fine. With the modern Orthodox, you can have a conversation with the Haredim it's you can't talk to them because their entire worldview is skewed um you know science has proven that evolution is true so doesn't that contradict the torah well no because the scientists must be wrong and they're all motivated by spite and they actually know the torah is true but they're trying to construct a false reality because uh, otherwise because they hate god if this whole thing is just completely self-reinforcing or, or, or the thing like oh only God can create life. And then my greatest example yeah. is, well, how do they create a goat in a bag? Well, um, you know, it's because of mm-hmm. that this. I'm like, go on. How do they create a goat <laughs> in a bag? If God is the only yeah. one that can create life, how do they make a goat in a bag in a lab? Yeah. 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 And the only kind of avenue for actually debating it is, at, you know, talking about the root of it. Well, how do you know the Torah is true? Is it true? Does God exist? That's the only avenue, because anything beyond that, you're in their system. There's no arguing, because oh your God. entire worldview is, your entire starting point is different. It's interesting, I mean, because I, um, I let, you know, one thing that I, I let into, I, I consider myself, I'm not practicing, but I do consider myself a secular Buddhist and a mm. hippie by that stature. And one of those reasons was, 
the hippies, which in short are just it's a it's a revolutionistic type of thinking. You know, yeah. the world is bad, but you yeah. go through it with an optimistic perspective. Yeah. Who started the movement in the early '60s was a bunch of Jews from NYU. Was it that dropped out, and then other Jewish undergrads that just they left school. Mm. And it's that idea of that. you know maybe that oppression where. They wanted their individuality, and they created a movement that says, you can live in a world without any rules, but here's the trick. Play your cards well. Have patience and understand sometimes you're going to have bad days, and that's okay. Because mm. there's another day tomorrow. Yeah. They don't see, they don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to see it. That's the other problem. And I it baffles me because there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you yeah. just walk through, it's okay. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know why this image came into my head now, but this I remember watching this video. Um, this is only a couple of years ago where some Hasidim in Israel were kind of just wailing about something, some some law the government passed or, or I don't know, some my favorite I, I, time sorry. Of, <laughs> my favorite time of the year right um <laughs> or some kind of uh, problem i don't know and they were just wailing and wailing and saying tati and you know kind of talking to the father in heaven so to speak and at that point oh, i was i remember uh, what it was i remember it was about uh tel aviv and because Haifa passed a law many years ago, okay. and they have buses running on Shabbat, and then right. Tel Aviv passed a law, and then they have sh they have buses now running on Shabbat as well, and they were all okay. That could have been it. That could it was have been Tel Aviv it. with the buses. Yeah, right. I remember this. And then for the first time since losing my faith, I just saw them for for what they are, and it's not the individual's fault, but just backwards people in this living in this superstitious world where this wailing will make a difference and everyone's out to get them and these laws being passed by the government are somehow a punishment from from heaven and their wailing will affect some change it's just guys you're just wailing on a street nothing is going to happen there's no problem here you're not being hurt by anyone and your wailing isn't going to change anything it's just living in this worldview where everything it's it's the superstitious worldview where yes if you pray hard enough you know our actions matter god cares about our things and everything that happens to us happens because god wanted it to happen and if we only did repentance then god will change the rules i i will share everyone in a little bit of secret we are carbon-based life life forms we're made out of carbon <laughs> carbon hydrogen and nitrogen the three most common elements in the universe is carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, okay? Mm. We are being Big Bang stuff, if you want yeah. to call it. We are the universe. We're made out of the universe. Yeah. So I hate to break it to all of you, but for just a speck yeah. out of trillions of trillions of specks in this universe, and the one thing that I've realized more than anything else, who gives a fuck what happens when you yeah. die. You know what matters? I'm alive for what? Another 60 odd years? Whoop-de-fucking-do. Let me make the most of it. 
That's the point. We got a short yeah. period. Who cares about fucking heaven and hell? Yeah. You're not yeah. going to be alive. Who yeah. cares? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. So my soul so my soul will suffer. Okay. Is that, <laughs> is that my problem now? No. I don't care. Because it doesn't affect me now. Yeah. 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 What if what affects us now, right? That's yeah. what matters. What affects us right now is what matters. Yeah. I mean, I'd go a step further and I I'd say like we just don't have souls. I mean, like even if, you know, if we had souls, I think I would care a little bit, but we just don't. There's just our bodies and our brains and that's it. Uh I mean, we have if you want to go scientific in a way there is a quote unquote soul. We are energy-based. We're made out of energy. Uh, one thing about energy is it's infinite. It doesn't die. So, you know, if you want to go a direction, you could say that when a person dies, the energy continues. Yeah, but just like any type of chemical, it takes a new shape or form. So, Right. Yeah, <sighs> but energy doesn't have consciousness. Energy doesn't no. think. It's no. our brains, which is what runs. That, that's the hardware that the consciousness runs on. Yes. And when the brain dies and decays, that's it. The software is gone. It's kaput, folks. <laughs> it's kaput. We, we are fleshy creatures. We're made of flesh and blood. Uh, and that's it. We're bound and by the laws of our planet. Yeah, and it's a fucking tough realization, but the sooner you come to that realization, the more you, you you know what your options are, and you're not living your life for a world to come that is fictional. It's crazy because I feel, I don't know about you, but for me personally, we, our education mainly was, you went to school, six hours was just biblical studies, and you got like, a little like three hour for me it was like about three and a half hours a little sliver yeah. of secular studies and it hurt me you know I yeah. I did spend my time doing my research on my own but it bothers me because I, I I still struggle with being a part of the real world because right. there's a lot of things I don't know how so can you give some examples um Social norms, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I was kind of you know traumatized. I had a friend of mine. She comes from an Ecuadorian family, and then the family just welcomed me, and it just it threw me off because they're really sweet people. It's just yeah. I don't. There's a part in my brain yeah. that just doesn't process the two pieces. Yeah. Um, because you don't know how to relate to them. No, because my version of family is, in a way, is control. Not necessarily for my own family, but just yeah. what I've seen is just, yeah. you're a part of us, but now you're under our rules. But yeah. it, for them, it's like, you're here, be you. And I'm like, yeah. and? No, no, yeah. there's no, there's no what and. demands? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no demands. No, like, but yeah. what are, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's that peace. And yeah. I don't know if it ever changes, but you know, you, you, you work through it because you have to. Yeah. But those are the, yeah. but those are the yeah. consequences. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. 
how many listeners you have. Okay, it's probably a safe bet that my mum is not going to listen to this podcast episode. So I'll, I'll my mum listens. My mum listens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's really cool, actually. She listens to your podcast. Yeah. Um, so my mum, we've had a rocky relationship over the years, should we say. A lot of different issues. Um, but more recently, this was, I think, about a year ago, she... You know, I, I'd been quite rebellious and had a lot of problems in school, which is, you know, my school wasn't as bad as yours, which I'm, I'm quite grateful for. I had four hours of, of uh, Jewish studies, well, plus kind of an hour for prayer in the morning. So it ended up being a really long day, but at least they did follow the kind of secular curriculum that, uh, you know, the, the Belgium kind of mandates. Um, but I kind of dropped out. Turns out I had undiagnosed ADHD, which... I only found out recently. Anyway, um, so that's part of the reason why I went to Yeshiva early. Sorry, ADHD tangents. Anyway, coming back to my mom. You're not um, alone. I mean, I, ha- I, I'm, I, I kind of diagnosed, but I have dyslexia. Mm. That's uh, And for me, the biggest problem for me was I was put into correctional schools. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, where I grew up at the time... Uh, kids that were autistic and kids that had mm. learning disabilities were the same. So we right. went to the same schools. Right. Yeah, okay. that's very messed up. And they yeah, basically taught us exactly what the regular school was doing, but they were pulling in more money from the government. Right. That's okay. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's really but up. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know how it is now. Remember, I, I'm you know I went to school. I left elementary school. 2010 or yeah about 2010 2011 yeah so i I don't i don't know what it is but you were saying i'm sorry going back on the subject yeah talking about your mom yeah so um so my mom and i've had a rocky relationship and she knew i'd kind of so my mom's kind of Haredi light, I'd say, is how she is and how I, I grew up. So, for example, we were Haredi and there was there would have been no chance of me socializing with girls, for example. None whatsoever. When it comes to marrying, then you go to a matchmaker in the community and she finds you a shidduch, as it's called, uh, a match. But, for example, we had a TV at home and we eventually got a computer with internet. So it's kind of this, like, Haredi light, I would say, kind of within the Haredi world, but more open. Um, anyway, after spending six years in yeshiva, I went to university, which for, for me was kind of always part of the plan. But I ended up house sharing with some modern Orthodox boys of my age, because those were kind of really the only people who were um, kind of house sharing and in university at the time. And spending time with them and living with them, I realized they're modern Orthodox. This is way better than being Haredi. So I'll just do this instead. Thank you very much. So I, and that was, you know, very good that I had that opportunity to kind of graduate into a less harsh version of of Judaism, one that's much more tolerant, where you can have girlfriends or girls as friends, kind of all of that kind of thing. Um, So it took my mom quite a while to make peace with that change, but eventually she did. But then, so this is what I was, what I started off saying a year ago. She asked me to, you know, I know you have become more modern and I'm okay with it now, but please, will you go to shul in, you know, once a day or once a week or whatever, you know, to the synagogue? And will you please wear titties? 
which is which is a uh, kind of religious item of clothing. Uh, it's a, basically it's a garment that you have to put uh, strings that are tied a specific way on all four corners. Um, I don't really remember a lot of it because a yeah. lot of that's been deleted <laughs> no, in my brain. brain. There's been a shredder <laughs> going on. <laughs> Uh, but that's what it is. It's just a, a four-corner yeah, garment exactly. with strings attached. Yeah. So she asked me to do these things, and I, I don't, I don't like lying to anyone, especially not to my mom, despite whatever rocky relationship we've had. And so I told her, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have done this anyway. Like I don't want to do these things, but unfortunately, well, unfortunately for her, the reality is such that it's not just that I'm modern and lazy. It's I just don't believe. So I'm not going to do these things. And that completely took her by surprise. She had no idea. And she took it really, really badly. And pretty much ever since then, there's been this kind of back burner conversation where she tries to convince me to believe why Judaism is true. And I, when I find it hard to control myself, I fight back and argue back. Yeah, so that's kind of the situation we are in at the moment. I had that. Uh, I had that with my mom. My mom and I have have a very different. You see, the thing is, my mom married my dad, and then she became a part of the the community. And my mom today is is modern Orthodox. Mm. You know, she, she's oh, not. Okay. You know, not crazy religious by yeah. any standards. That's great. It is. It, it makes things a lot easier for me. And yeah. what was hard when I told my mom I was not religious and I came out of the closet she didn't take it well and it, it took mm. about four or five years and i i mean we we've gotten to a point i remember you know my dad passed away about two years ago and i'm sorry thank you and um we went to new orleans i got a t memorial tattoo for my dad and my mom just started mm. crying you know because she's like oh that's so beautiful and my mom sees it weird she knows i'm living my best life even though she may not accept my choices for who I am. She said it very clearly. She says, I'm not willing to give up my child because of things they don't that I don't believe in. Right. And that was like the wake-up call that she got is like, what am I doing? I'm going to hate my mm. child because yeah. he doesn't want to live the life I want him to live. Yeah. People get to that point. I mean, I hope you and your mom get to that point too. Trust me, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You. I say Jesus all the time in front of my mom. I love it. <laughs> Love you, mom. Um, but people eventually start to they start to soften up because you know what you're you're giving up somebody that you care about because yeah. of of religious beliefs. Come on, yeah, come on. Yeah, it it's it went kind of a different route with my mom because she would never have you know kind of done what many people on the like real ultra-Orthodox ultra will do, which is sit shiver and then go through the whole seven-day mourning process for a child that has gone off the derech. She would never do that. But, you know, she's kind of not giving up on me, but in a very different way, in a way that's like, well, no, I'm not going to give up on you. I will get you to believe in Judaism again. Dum, dum, and dum. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's like I, I appreciate that you're doing this out of love and care for me, but this is not what I need from you. I need love for who I am, not just the form of the love should be kind of to drag me back kicking and screaming into a religion that I do not believe in. Oh God. Uh, I uh 
is is really funny because in in my in my fa- so in my family we're four. So there's three boys and one girl. Yeah. Uh, me and my brother are not religious, and my sister and my brother are religious. They live in a cult in in Israel. Um, what, what cult? If you don't uh, let me ask. They're you. in an outside community um, out of Jerusalem. Like they they okay. built their own uh, their own thing, and I I always love like you know my brother and sister they they will they'll tell me like oh you're not religious because of your other brother. <laughs> right. yeah. and i'm like me and my brother we're on like total opposites yeah. of belief like i am hippie i am spiritual you know i believe in the universe he's more of you know atheistic you know believes in the science i believe in science too, but we have yeah it's two different worlds yeah 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 there's that problem too. I mean, there's so many problems, but it's the problem of we're we can see the mirror clearly on one side, right? And mm-hmm. they see the mirror on the other side, but it's murky. Yeah. Why do you? What do you have like an explanation? I'm curious. Do you have an explanation to why it's like that? What do that? you mean by that? What do you mean they can see the mirror from the other side, but it's murky? Murky because they only they only see what they want to see. It's like they have a block right. of like. Okay, if one kid's not religious and the other one's not religious, immediate it must be that the yeah. other kid made the other one religious. Right, not religious. Yeah, not religious. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because my mom and I have kind of the same. Well, well, it's it's all the books you've read that have made you not religious. Oh, it's like, mom, it's not the books. It's most of it actually happened. I have actually done embarrassingly little reading about heresy and you know I, I didn't read the god delusion or any of those things most of it just happened in my head just over the years kind of thinking you know i, I first okay i don't know how much time we have left but i can maybe give a kind of uh, dude we, we have as much time as you as you like Fine. okay we have billions of years uh, until the sun runs uh yeah pretty much <laughs> Uh, right. So as a child, I was questioning kind of, I was very, very dreamy, very in my own head. So I didn't really share these thoughts or questions with anyone, but I remember thinking about them even as a child. Okay. There are hundreds of religions in the world. Why do we think we're right and everyone else is wrong? Surely isn't that what everyone else in the other religions thinks as well? It's a pretty basic question, right? I wasn't like a particularly intelligent child, but even I could see that that's a big question. Um, and that kind of, I think, went on for a couple, for a few years. Maybe it started when I was around ten. Well, you maybe know the early- you know the answer to that question. They say, well, no other religion. My my brother, the one in Israel, he gave this as an example. He says, well, no other religion can prove that you had oh, six hundred thousand people. Oh, yeah. Stand nonsense. under the mat. So yeah. I said to him, I said, well, uh, what about Buddhist Buddhism? Buddhism believe that Buddha came down in front of 500 people, in front of a major mm. city, right. and showed his I light. I didn't know that. Right. Uh, I said, and I gave him another example. I said, if you look at Hinduism, they believe, I think it was Shani, or I forgot which one it was, one of the gods, they believe that uh, at a time, 2,000 people, we're talking about in, in ancient India, gathered yeah. by the waters, and she showed her kindness and mm. gave forth, you know, uh, blissful of produce. And yeah. 
All religions have that kind of crap. Right. They say that yeah. two thousand five hundred. Yeah. That's the you know in my person that's the dumbest explanation. Okay. Yeah. You want to bring up those? Let's get those six hundred thousand people. Let's let's talk. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Who does? Okay. We can we can talk about this. <laughs> we can talk about this another time. Yeah. yeah. But um, that's fine. Yeah. The, the, they have their argument that they think works, even though it doesn't. But fine. Um, but actually, when I was 13, I came across a book called Rejoice, O Youth by a rabbi called Robert Victor Miller. And it was incredibly persuasive to 13 year old me. Um, he, as I saw it at the time, he really opened my eyes to see why evolution is not true and why God must exist. And uh, the Torah's statements were all very provable, all of these things. Um, and that kind of sustained my faith through yeshiva, through the six years of yeshiva. And I suppose that made them bearable. I mean, I didn't have the best time in yeshiva, but at least I didn't have any issues of faith then. Because, well, this book just conclusively proves all of this stuff about Judaism. It's only after leaving yeshiva and hanging out with the modern orthodox friends that I mentioned before <clears throat> that I realized modern orthodox people, many of them do believe in evolution. They do believe in the age of the universe. They do believe in all of these sorts of things. And then I kind of started thinking for myself and reevaluating all of these things that I've read and realized actually all of these claims that he makes, these supposed watertight proofs, they don't quite work. Uh, there was a lot of the... Uh, the watchmaker argument or arguments from design and they just don't work because they kind of they're a very naive understanding of how evolution works we, yeah like one example explaining um uh with noah you know and they, they you know they say how do you how do you explain the fossils so they you mm. know the explanation is is that god crushed the earth and moved things around <laughs> so right. the, yeah. the the problem is and scientists already proved this to change the structure of a planet's crust to move things up and down is nearly yeah. impossible. The reason yeah. is because the buildup is over a millennia of you know one layer on top of another layer. Yeah. And you could literally see the differences. Yeah, so, the different strata in the ground, yeah. Exactly, so you, know, you make an excellent point. I, I, I know which book you're talking about, and I re remember it vaguely. There are parts of it. It's uh, how do you 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 can't you can't explain it that yeah. simple. It just it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work that way. Yeah. No, he gives a lot of examples about the eye, for example, where the odds of all of the components that make up the human eye coming together are astronomical beyond you know calculation and sure that's true but nobody's saying that the eye just sprang into existence fully formed that's not how anyone thinks evolution works well first of all we have we actually don't have the most developed eye on the planet uh believe it or not right. i think it's um octopi I mean, yeah, yeah that, that family yeah they have like i think it's 14 to 19 spectrum they can see 14 to 19 more colors than we can right their eyes are even sharks have better yeah. well-developed eyes than we do uh, right um but even if even if it is complicated which i do think it is but there are billions of years and all of these various different mechanisms of evolution that mm -hmm. are at work 
it ne- nobody's claiming it sprang into existence fully formed. Um, and sure, there are still questions about abiogenesis. How did the first life evolve, the first self-replicating cell or self-replicating molecule? Sure, and these are active areas of research. Well, we know but this because of um, it's because of binders. It's because of binders in the universe allowed these these cells to attach because there was that binder they started multiplying and then started growing you are correct by the way eyes are very complicated the 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 issue that people don't realize about evolution and it has nothing to do about god the fact and you can even prove this to a jew where you'll say to them okay it says in the torah that people were there were very tall people and ancient times right this yeah. has been proven and by science hundreds of years yeah it's been proven by science over time humans have changed yeah. so by you admitting that there were tall people right. 2000 <laughs> you're admitting to science because that's what right. science proves but so, no 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 no. those were like divine mechanisms not evolution uh, right it's it's exactly you're saying the same thing but like but no 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 this can't be my beliefs can't be tainted with evolution yeah. my point i'm trying to bring out is you can take this the correct perspective and then taint it to your own liking again you know you're mentioning this we're not dealing with individuals we're dealing with a collective if an individual is actually looking at this they might see differently that's the thing about modern orthodoxy is this idea of individuality you know of you know what makes you feel comfortable like you know you want to do that or you want to again very individual very individual to oneself I don't know this is (laughs) It's fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I, I cut this. you off. Yeah. It's, it's the no, weed, man. I'm all. sorry. It's, it's a dialogue. <laughs> it's, it's a dialogue. Um, so, kind of after Yeshiva, I realized that all of these arguments against evolution and why the Torah is true, they all don't really work. And anyway, I'd always been really interested in science. And I actually really didn't like this like rejection of science and reversion back to these like superstitions because no i like science i like the scientific method i like the incredible discoveries and inventions that science has allowed so now to take this both that like oh scientists are all evil and they're all out to disprove gods and whatnot i, I it never sat well with me so i was really relieved to to come to this naturalistic view of god so at that time i believed in god still um but okay but god works through natural means god created the big bang set the universe in motion and actually doesn't that make god all the more impressive that he can create a universe of such power and potential that it can generate life on its own rather than god being so incompetent that he has to kind of like hand make life because it's too because he's not intelligent enough to kind of make a self-assembling system right (laughs) i mean if you really if you really think about it we all believe in god god is the universe and quite simply we live in a universe that started 14 billion years ago and whatever Mm -hmm. happened 14 billion years ago is affecting us now it's constantly expanding Mm -hmm. and growing yeah so god is real it's not a person it's not a thing it's not an it it's not creation it's a chemical reaction that's a domino effect and that has constantly been expanding because it's a collective I mean it's not you know what in a better way in short it's not God it's God's okay think about it 
all these chemicals, these protons, stars, uh, nebulas, uh, planets, uh, asteroid belts, suns. It's all gone because it's the universe. Right. Yeah, interesting. We right. are God in a way. I mean, if you want to use mm -hmm. that term, we're made out of what the universe is. Yeah. We've, we've got it twisted in our heads. Yeah. It's, it's like... I wish there will come a point where everybody just realizes we believe in the same thing. Mm. We just call it, we just view it and see it in different ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I have a way of, it's my, yeah. inner, it's my inner <laughs> hippie all. of making all of us brothers and sisters, <laughs> yeah, even though we're all it. fucked. Love it. The world needs more people like that, like you, people who can see the commonality rather than the differences. I, I realized, yeah. I realized the potential of opening up your, your heart and your mind. And truth is, you know, the education of the Jewish cult communities, it's close mindedness. The secret, if you, yeah. you know what the secret yeah. to long life is? Of course, is keeping healthy and making sure you have a good routine. It's, it's the approach of being open-minded. Because mm. open-minded means is that I can be friends with a liberal. I'm conservative. Mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a conservative that comes from, you know, the left side, but I can be friends with somebody like that. You know why? Because... That's their point of perspective. That's what they mm. believe. I don't have any problem, you know, with people that are religious. You can believe all your fucking bullshit as much as you want. I don't believe it. But the second you put that on me, I'm not going to respect you because it's, yeah. it doesn't work one way. I don't give a shit yeah. that I was raised religious. That's my yeah. problem. I'll go to my fucking grave and I'll take whatever I need. But if, but if you're not willing to see eye to eye with me... What's the point? Like, seriously, yeah. like, what is the point of us having connections mm -hmm. if we can't have our own opinions and be okay with that and allowing yeah. somebody to disagree with you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. How do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel now currently? Do you feel that you, you have that open-minded the mentality and have a community like that around you? That's a really good question. I ask really good questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, no, it's... Uh, I'm going to give a cowardly answer and say it's complicated. <laughs> like, a lot of my friends are kind of modern orthodox of this community. Um, some of whom my closer friends have shared my real beliefs with. Um, others I like, haven't quite, and there's there's a bit of a mix, you know. Okay, maybe to caveat this by saying that, you know, whether you believe in the religion or not, really isn't that big a determinant in in the modern Orthodox world. Does it really matter? You know, for a lot of them, it's just you know this kind of believe in God and the purpose to life, and, and that's kind of it. But they lead lead their lives mostly the same as the majority of other human beings on the planet. It's only really in the kind of more yeshivish and ultra-Orthodox um, kind of communities where it really becomes more totalitarian. Um, but, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been noticing a shift with the youth. 
mm. in these communities, there's a lot less acceptance of it. I've seen, um, you know, especially with the LGBT community, um, the mm. amount of us that have been butchered and the suicide rates mm. were, um, they were through the roof for years. Mm. Yeah. People are like, you know, there are rabbis now that are supporting the LGBT community in New York, mm. religious rabbis. Right. Because they've said enough, yeah. enough, enough. Yeah. Just leave yeah. these poor Good. fucking teenagers Funny. alone. Yeah. Just leave them yeah. alone. Just let them live their lives. So what? They're fucking gay. We'll deal with it yeah. later. Yeah. There comes a point where people have to just wake up and realize you, you, you cannot do this anymore. You're hurting yeah. people. You're not yeah. only hurting people, you're damaging people. Yeah. And kudos to those rabbis for taking this step. Because, I mean, it's incredibly overdue, but also the Torah is pretty explicit about it. So to go against that, already they are ensuring that no ultra-Orthodox rabbi or person will ever kind of accept them ever again, because, oh, well, you can't accept LGBT things, it's a perversion, whatever. Um, so already it's a big personal risk for them. So I guess kudos to them. I, I mean, there's nowhere near enough, but it's a first step. It's a respectable first step. There's a perspective of where the Torah is not supposed to be taken literal. And there's also the realization, and again, there's been research being found for this, that what the Torah, you have to remember, when the Torah was written, it was at a time where we were very tribal. Okay, we mm. were idolaters, we worshipped idols. There were certain acts that were done for idolatry. That was not, you know, again, because Judaism was kind of one of the very first monotheistic religions and had no part of it. So when it, when it talks about these phrases of don't, you know, a man should dress like a woman, yeah. it's talking about towards, you know, worshiping these idols. And, you know, in a way, people are realizing we're, we're, we're taking this literal when we're not supposed to. I mean, mm. isn't that one of the golden things we're told at a young age? The Torah is not literal. That's why we have the Talmud and, you know, the, the Shulchan Aruch and all of this is because it's, right? That, that's the point. Um, I, I that's what I was told as a kid. It, that was, that's what I was told. It's very much literal, but there's all of these connotations and implications that you just can't get directly from the text. So you need all of these other commentaries and, and uh, so a sentence, elaborations. So the sentence about LGBTQ... Mm. You know about how a man cannot lay with a man like he lays with a woman. Yeah. You know that 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 sentence we could completely understand like in a matter of seconds. But um, you know the, the one about the red cow, which by the way has been proven that a red cow is just a species of cow. It just didn't right. exist. Isn't that funny? It just didn't exist in the Mesopotamian region, so right. they never discovered it. <laughs> right. It's so, it's a cow that um originates from Russia. It has a, an, you can okay. go online and see it. It has like an orange, like an orange, orange reddish tint. Right. And I think what probably just happened is like maybe like somebody lost their cow on the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it got lost in Israel. I'm like, oh my God, there's a red there's cow. A, oh my God. This there's is a red a cow. cow. And this is the only one that can purify whatever. Yeah. Oh God. It's just a species of cow. It's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, um, but this uh, look. I think what these modern Orthodox rabbis are doing is great, and they should be uh, commended for it. 
me personally, I have very little patience for the whole thing because, like, it, like if you're, I'm, I'm just saying, this, I'm just saying their perspective. Well, to me, yeah, it's bullshit. Sure. Yeah, but, you know, right, exactly. The, the way of they're trying to accept this is mm. maybe have the realization of like, okay, if there's certain things that we need all this biblical, yeah. you know, writing to explain, maybe we should take a step back from this because we're yeah. having now parents that have to bury their child at fourteen, yeah. fifteen. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. take a That's turn back. Tragedy. Yeah. Unfortunately, but yeah, it takes sometimes. Believe it or not, sometimes it takes death. To wake people up yeah i mean it's, it's an absolute tragedy and a crime that that's that that's what it takes for people to come to the realization that oh maybe we need to not be so intolerant about this or narrow-minded yeah uh, yeah yeah I, I just have so little patience for this whole like enterprise of apologetics because like oh well, okay it's fine we'll take a step back in this and this is now metaphorical but all these other things are still literal we still have to fucking keep shabbos and do all these other things like dude do you not see how this entire structure of your religion is falling to pieces like to me it's just lost all of its credibility like years ago but these rabbis who surely are thinking about this stuff day in day out they can't see how laughably weak all of it is I really, uh, I, I, it took me about four years to really understand Shabbos. And I realized that if you remove all the attachments, you know, all the religious, mm. you get a day of actual, like, you know, like a day of, like, for yourself. You know, yeah. that, that, I turn yeah. Saturday into, like, my day. It's yeah. my day to be me. It's my day to do whatever I want. That's the spirit of Shabbos, which you think it is. And I, yeah. it's one thing. Like I finally understood when we kept on saying the day of rest. You know, what day of rest meant Just don't work. Just yeah. you know, like take time off, spend time with your family. It's a great idea. It's like one of yeah. the greatest things in Judaism is Shabbos. Yeah. It's awesome. But then you put all the, you know, the meals, and then you're weighing like thirty six pounds more by the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. You know. But just to the basic, to the basic of what of, it is. And all of the million different rules that make Shabbos so much less restful than any other day. If it's an enforced rest where you can't do anything else but sit on your tuchus all day, that's not restful because you can't do all of the things that you want to do. Like, yeah, I mean, like, for example, somebody has a work project they want to do or they want to catch yeah. up on something or play a yeah. game of golf. Yeah, exactly. That's that's that was one of the conversations I had with my wife when I kind of came out to her and told her that, you know, it's it's a bit worse than kind of the initial hazy answers I gave about my beliefs. It's actually a lot worse. I actually don't believe at all. And not just that, I just I can't be asked to do certain things anymore. And Shabbos I found incredibly restrictive. And one of the examples I gave is I don't have time for like my, I'm a programmer, for like my side project of code because Sunday is just a day where you have to do all of your chores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during the week, I just have work and Shabbos would be the perfect time for it. It's the first day of the weekend. Um, finally, I can relax from work. I can forget about work, but I don't have to like get ready for the next week of work yet. But because it's fucking Shabbos, I can't use a computer, so I can't do any of this programming, which would be for me. I know, it's um, it's 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 so funny. Like for you know, today I um, I got up in the morning and I rolled down my window in my car, mm. and 
and I, I put on, you know, some good, you know, 70s, you know, old classic, you know, soft rock. Yeah. And I was just like, oh. And it was just awesome. You know, yeah, this is it. This, this is life. This is the life. And I, I think one thing, and I, I, again, I can't speak for other people that are OTD. I mean, you know, we're just, just me and you. Yeah. We, we kind of, in a way, we're, appreciate life and a, a lot more some of us because we were suppressed for so long yeah. Yeah. and then now we're not suppressed and I'm, I'm able to enjoy like the little yeah. you know the little things and some people think I'm nuts you know like yeah. the, the, the way that I, I have a way with, with non-kosher fish and and um, you know how I you know prepare foods and people are like what are you doing and I'm like well you know, it's my little, you know, it's like become part what of my little. Mean? I have like, um, I have a thing with like, you know, with shellfish. I cook it all yeah. like Creole, Cajun style. Like that's my thing. Okay. Right. Because, you know, I never could experience that. And then mm. um, I went to New Orleans last year for my birthday. I went all out. Okay. Mm. We're talking about gumbo, <laughs> jambalaya, like alligator sausage, all oh, of wow. it. <laughs> it. It's not about the food. For me, it's like I was able to experience yeah. New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans style. You know, that's the thing yeah. about us. We're like we're food-based culture creatures. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're really able to experience life to its fullest. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, there's like that journey, and then there's this. I don't know, like what your journey has been like. If you want yeah. to elaborate more on it, but sure. you find something yeah. new every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. Like this is kind of the uh, you know same with people who grew up poor and then became wealthy. Like they enjoy it so much more than somebody who's just been wealthy their whole life because they take everything for granted. They don't realize how good they have it. So yes, sure, it doesn't justify the suffering and the oppression that we went through growing up. But at least there is a positive side to it now. Um, yeah, I've I've not been quite as adventurous of you as you with food. I think part of it is because you know, kind of my uh, my marriage situation. Um, but that was one of the biggest things. Another big conversation I had with my wife, which is we do a bit of traveling. We really enjoy it, but if you can't fucking partake of the food, what's the point of going to Japan, <laughs> right? There is a point, but if you can't have Japanese sushi in Japan. If you can't eat all of the local dishes, but it's like it's, what you're it's, spending, it's like Italy. It's, I went when I was in Italy. <sighs> I, 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 I'm sorry. Okay, for anyone, you do not go to Rome. Okay, and not have real yeah. Roma pizza, like yeah. real Roma pizza, and and yeah. real Italian pasta and real yeah. Italian wine. I've had real Italian wine, and let me tell you, it's fucking amazing. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's it's it's. Yeah. It kills it's, it's, me. It kills yeah. me. Yeah. You know, because again, like the only way, one of the ways again of how we experience culture, is through food and. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> the, the traveling that we did, kind of before I came out to my wife about this and we were doing kosher it kind of felt like we weren't really there like i was seeing everything through this kind of like glass uh, you know pane of glass or something because if you can't partake in, of the food you can't just go for a walk and decide to go to this little cafe 
by the bay and just eat there and relax, you're not really there in a sense, right? You can be enjoying the view and you can go swimming and that's beautiful, but it's only part of the full picture. <laughs> and this is making me sound incredibly greedy and sure, but, but it's a massive part of the experience, especially when it's not just that you can't, on a whim, decide to eat somewhere and have freshly prepared food, local food. We also have to be hungry all day and then go back to your Airbnb that you rented and make some fucking rice. And that's pretty much it because you can't really buy any kosher food in the exciting place you're staying. Or you do what so many other from people have been kind of hammered into doing and just they only go to places where there's kosher food available. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. We went to, me and my mom, we went, so, you know, my mom is kind of on the frugal side with um, with kosher food because I worked in kitchens and I, I literally told my mom, I'm like, when you go to a restaurant and you order, order vegan and vegetarian, they yeah. use different utensils. I know this because mm. I worked right. in the food industry. They can't. Yeah. They cannot because a lot of times people right. are ordering this stuff is because of allergies. Yeah. Um, you know, we went to Europe and she... I said, you know what? Fine. We went to an Italian place in the Jewish ghetto that was kosher. It was horrible. Yeah. Awful. I've heard about the Italian kosher places, that they are shit. They're Just awful. Terrible. And my mom, we left there. I, Ma, I'm sorry I'm quoting you right now. Uh, <laughs> she turned to me and she said, we paid $70 for that? Yeah. Oh, I, I said, Ma, I, I told you. I told you. I told you. And you did not yeah. listen to me. They just don't care because they have a captive market. Everyone who's religious has to come to us. So why make any efforts? They're not competing with anyone. No. It's just, they're <laughs> so lazy. And the prices they charge and the terrible food quality, it's, it's genuinely just embarrassing, or it should be embarrassing for them if they have the decency to be embarrassed. I mean, we spent the exact same money going to an authentic Italian pasta place that like mm. had like real Parmigiano de yeah. Giano, like, you know, like the yeah. real like Jerusalem artichoke with like, you know, properly roasted. Oh, yeah. And that was $70. And that was right. way worth it because you, you get that. It, you know what? It's, it's not even about food. What we're trying to bring out is the point when you're like we mentioned before you have those dominoes where you know if you you can't do this you can't do that you're really not able to really experience people might argue with me yeah. but here's the thing is you really can't experience life yeah because you're limiting I, yourself I completely agree yeah a lot of people that i've spoken to seem to be okay with it like oh i'm not such a food person i mean i can't understand someone who isn't a food person anyway but fine but for me yeah it's not even it's not even about food you know some of us have nine to five jobs working monday through friday right you know how easy it is for people for me to leave work go yeah. away for the weekend be back to work on monday yeah right yeah. but then when you have a person that's religious they can't do anything on Saturday. So they're stuck in their hotel. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So when are you supposed to go on vacation? You're supposed to take off a whole week of work, okay? Yeah. And remember, yeah. remember, kosher bills, like being yeah. in the religious community, it's not cheap. It's very expensive. Yeah. You got to take off a yeah. whole week of work just to go away with your family. I mean, yeah. you're adding more you don't need. You understand yeah. this? It's like... Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, Sorry. It's, it's I'm, just, I'm getting I'm getting worked no, up. <laughs> it's, I'm letting it all out. Just letting yeah. it all out. No, it's it's. I mean, it's it's funny because I've been saying this for years as well. Like, as 
like living an orthodox life, you're limited to such a small sliver of the human experience. It's, it's, it's a cr- like you have one life and to be denied so much because of all of these crappy rules that are not even from a false religion, essentially. It's, it's a crime being denied of so much of the human experience. Get to being, get to being who, you know, uh, for me, my um, my mom used to, you know, we used to go to Blockbuster and and rent out movies, and um, my mom used to uh, listen to like seventies music. So as a kid, I had, I had some outside of the world, and I remember when I was a teenager, yeah. I started listening to John Lennon and the Beatles, and mm. I it just it blew my mind because I said to myself, I'm like, these are people that came from a dead cer- trash, okay. <laughs> You know what? I love Paul. I love. They came from Liverpool. Okay, You're, yeah. you you you've been to yeah. Northern England. Like, I have, they, yeah. there's areas in Liverpool that are just trash. Yeah, they became rock stars because yeah. they were their their truest selves. You know, and yeah. I said to myself, I'm like, they, you know, Paul McCartney. I I can't speak for the man. I pretty sure when he dies. Before he dies, he could say, I lived a meaningful life. And I'm okay with dying now. Yeah, a full life. A full life. And it doesn't matter what happens afterwards. He did what he wanted to do, and he accomplished that. Yeah. And isn't that what we all want is to be an accomplishing individual? Is that late by you? What time is it by you? It's uh, just gone midnight. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're doing a midnight podcast. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in short, it's a hard, painful, difficult story. Yeah. The truth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to share kind of my own experience with, uh, with, with food and kind of exploring non-kosher food. It's, it's kind of interesting because I would have thought that, oh, if I have the freedom, if I have the option, I would eat all of those things, kangaroo meat, whatever. I've surprised myself with how kind of intimidating I found this. It, there's, there's something ingrained deep inside of me, which I, I had pork once or twice didn't like it i think the texture was off it could be i was just hyper focusing on the texture um but i kind of i can't bring myself to order it i can't bring myself to order pork or bacon there's something like you know i'll order chicken in a non-kosher restaurant but i can't order something it's it's crazy how deeply ingrained it is within me i uh it's i you know for me, it's a little bit different because, you know, I've had a little bit of a psychedelic experience. Um, I also, you know, have been a cannabis user for four years. Y- y- your mind changes. Mm. So one thing for me is is that I, I, this is going to sound really strange. The person I was in 2017, he died. When I think of my past, yeah. I'm talking yeah. about another person from yeah. their memories. Yeah. That's how it feels to me. So, yeah. do you know there are times I forget that I'm even Jewish? Like, uh, you know, I, I will just like, oh wait, oh shoot. You know, like I'm like, oh, my, 
you know, my head feels kind of cold, you know, like the, you get some of those like <laughs> yeah. ghost feelings here and yeah. there. Um, yeah. But the, the truth for me, I don't know, I've heard this from other people as well, is you have to create that division. You have to divide yourself mm. up and let that person pass away in a way. Right. Yeah. And let the new person of yourself. Yeah. Start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to kosher foods or, or like these kind of weird hangups about certain degrees of, of non-kosherness, I don't really care that much. Like I'm okay with having these weird hangups. Um, you know, similarly, I kind of, there's a blessing that Jews make after going to the toilets. Um, to kind of, uh, which sure. is quite nice, oh, actually. Asher, Asher Yatsar? Asher Yatsar, yeah. Oh, Where you kind of yes, I remembered. For the correct functioning of your body, it's actually really nice. Um, I pretty much still say it, even though I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any part of the religion, but it's kind of like I don't feel clean until after I've said it. It's kind of like acting as a mental barrier for me between toilet state and non-toilet state. I'll tell you something. I actually I have a protection in my house. You know the the thing you hang up on your wall to to bless the home. Um, we all have weird quacks. Like I have also yeah. this weird thing. I, I've worked on Saturday. Like I've done. Mm. It feels horrible. Mm. It's miserable. Yeah. And I don't work on Saturdays. Never. Yeah. I have not worked on, a, work on Saturdays. <laughs> and like my job. It's funny. My job actually requires us to work on um, Saturday. And I told them I'm, mm. I'm Shomer Shabbos. They don't know what the shit, <laughs> what the fuck that shit is, and I'm like, yeah. I'm observant of the Sabbath. Yeah, and they kept on pestering. Yeah, they kept on pestering me. So what did I do? I, I created a sign. It says Shomer Shabbos, and I hung it up on my desk. <laughs> it's a constant reminder. Ah, 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 ah. But you're not alone. I mean, I could tell you from my own yeah. experience. I have my weird things that are like, why am I doing these? But you know, they. A blessing of a home is it's kind of nice, you know. It's yeah, like sure, you're giving thanks for we having. We don't have a... to discard every part of the religion just no. because we don't believe in the dogmas. There's a lot of beauty in various rituals or blessings. You don't have to literally believe in them to to get some enjoyment or some meaning out of it. I know. There's those times where you're just craving kogel. Ooh. <laughs> You know, uh, maybe one day. I have not yet craved kugel, but I'll let you know when that happens. I mean, I, I went through a spree where I didn't have kugel for like three years, and then okay. I smelled like the overnight like kugel, okay. and I'm like, yeah. and I was like, all right, let me. If anyone's Fine. curious, kugel is basically just potato cake. Yeah, like what? with lots of oil and kind of eggs, like fried. It and just onions. kind of you put it in the oven and it fries within with all the oil and the grated potato. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean it is delicious. It's like probably one of the most fattening things you can eat. But because of that, so good. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I um it it's crazy though because because you know, like you know, you talk about food, and you're right. I mean, there are there are things about like the religion that are they're quite special. Mm. You know, it 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 also like for me, my family, my father's side of the family, most of them are traditional. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, traditional Jews. If anybody has an experience, they're really fun. Traditional Jews are people that they they don't really keep anything, mm. but you know they'll. Get together and like do Passover. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know they'll do certain things together. Yeah. As 
I find that so beautiful because they get to live their most authentic life. And and they get to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, they get the community side of it and the ritual side of it and the togetherness without actually having to do all of the minutiae that are, you know, insane. I just love like, I met, when I, I had my family in Israel, I, I went there for a Shabbat. It was amazing. We uh, we went in the morning. So like our lunch, we drove out to the beach and nice. they got a couple of family members and we sat there and we had brunch. You yeah. know, for like Shabbat, yeah. and we're like all like Chaktov Shabbat, you know, and like we're all like just. And to them, that's like what Shabbat is. You know, they they yeah. get together and they have. Yeah. All I'm saying is, there's so many different things that the media doesn't talk about with the Jewish culture. Is we're mm. not all like that. There's yeah. a lot of people that are Jewish or somewhat you want to call religious or anything that are very different than the communities. There's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot more than us than there are of them, by the way, yeah. Yeah. a lot more of us. Yeah, sure. And it, it's really crazy how the voice of a few affects the many. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. It's always like that. The vocal minority, the people who are the most extreme and radical and vocal about things, they make themselves heard. And the vast majority who are just normal, they have nothing to shout about because they're just living their lives. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's just is is it's just baffling because, you, you, you know, you're mentioning like the way that they deal with situations is like just shuckle and pray to it. And you say to yourself, how, how do these how do these people have any power? Well, they don't. <laughs> they don't, but they think they give up power. They've given up power because they think God is in charge and it's arrogance to think, uh, to believe in right? my power and the strength of my hand. So they give up power. But unfortunately, yes, people are not perfect and people are not omnipotent. And if you try to do something, there's a good chance you will fail and you'll have to try again and again. But that doesn't mean that just because people are limited that therefore, oh, well, God is in charge and God can do this and I don't have to do anything. No, you've misunderstood how things work and how you get things done. It's, uh, it goes back to the idea of, um, you know, we, we, you know, we, there's that phrase karma's, you know what karma is? Mm. Karma is an idea in Buddhism, which is life is like a balance. Okay. Mm. If you take something there's repercussions to your actions. And the best example I like to give is you buy groceries, okay? You go to the grocery store and, and it costs you, uh, you're in England, uh, 65 pounds, mm. okay? You just lost 65 pounds, but look what you gained. You gained food that you mm. can bring home, you know, you can nourish yourself. Right, right. So negatives are not always negatives. They're they're a positive, but we view it as a negative because of our survival instincts. So you, you, you know, we we got to remember that for a very long time, of our species, which have been around for two hundred thousand years, we've built survival instincts that still exist with us today. And if yeah. we remove those primate instincts, we get to really see what the world actually is. It's a bunch of monkeys running around without their heads and ah, 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 making a muck. I love it sometimes because you just you have to sit there and you laugh. Yeah. And then you realize, you know what? Like, I'm not 
you do you. I- I'm gonna I'm gonna go now. I'm gonna go now. Okay. Yeah. Like you keep you keep yeah you keep it up. Good job. Yeah. Okay. You just have to sit there and laugh. That's what I. Unfortunately, yeah. that's what I do. Is I, I just sit yeah. there and laugh. Yeah. You're not solving problems. Yeah. No. I I remember hearing about this one. I think it was a like subsect of of Ger, um, who are kind of one Hasidic sect. Um, I, I might be wrong about the details, but where kind of they said that oh we have so little power that even you know in, in the from world you're expected to do good and choose the right thing and adhere to all the commandments and not do any of the sins um but even that is beyond my power because how can i do such a thing it would be so arrogant to believe that i on my own could do these things so you have to pray for god to basically take away your free will and just force you to do good these are like extremes. It's like a like an exploration of like powerlessness. Like how deeply can you convince yourself that you have no power? The same Where, way like, you need to pray to God to make you do these things because you're unable to do anything yourself. It's the same way we allow governments to control us. And um we tend to we tend to forget our individuality we tend to forget mm. that you know there was some beauty in the people that were around in the 60s and 70s and bold enough mm. to be self-thinking because they saw all this shit mm. and they were sick and tired yeah. of it you know what they yeah. did they fought it and they made the best of it mm. they kept their smiles on we, we got to remember, things take time to change. You want to put your hope and faith in a false prophecy? Guess what? You're going to be the one that's going to be dead at the ditch like everybody else. I'm going to be all the way on the top of the hill. You know why? Because I don't need somebody else to tell me yeah. on how I'm supposed to live the best version of my life. Yeah. No one can tell you how to live your best version yeah. of your life. You know, and to give away, you know... We all are powerful, okay? There's nothing wrong with having power. You have a beautiful power of, with your coding, right? You're able to create these really complex things yeah. and make yeah. these things. I have a thing with art. I'm able to be creative in a certain way. Mm. These are powers that we have. Yeah. They don't make us weak. They no. don't make us um, apicorous, you know, the, yeah. uh, you know, heretics. Uh, heretics, exactly. They make us us. Yeah. And when we give up that power, yeah, come on. Yeah, I think part of the reason these people need to believe in their powerlessness is because because of how much is at stake. Because oh well, if God, if you don't ensure that I do the right thing and stay away from sin, well then eternal hell awaits, right? And you're not going to achieve uh, the world you, you to realize, come with all of your ancestors. You realize that hell is a is a Christian. Sure. Well, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the concept idea- of eternal hell, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the 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 actual hell that's in Judaism, which is very funny, how most rabbis don't even know this. It's Gihinom. It's mm. basically. Uh, it's even been mentioned, like in Zohar. It's just where the soul gets cleansed. 
It's a cleansing mm-hmm. process. Right. There's no mention of we're like, you know, you're tortured because of that specific. Mm-hmm. There's no mention of any of that. The only mention of any of this, believe it or not, is within the past hundred years. In the, the, basically, you know, after conservatism and reform was created, they had to create orthodoxy more. So they indoctrinated, yeah, they added in Christianity yeah, yeah. to make it a lot more yeah. stricter so nobody would leave. Yeah. That's, that's where it comes from, man. Like, yeah. You think it's yeah. complicated, but it's really not. Yeah, it's that simple. No. But like these absolutes of like why why these things are so terrifying and why you have to give up your power is because of how much is at stake because you can't risk this punishment and you have eternal uh heaven or the world to come to gain so that's what makes everything so fraught and so uh have, have so much at stake basically, that you can't trust yourself to make the right decisions. They can't have this kind of chilled or more relaxed attitude to life where just live your best life and your life is what it is and you can't be more, you can't do more than just be human. They, they can't afford that because they have too much to lose and, and too much to, what's the, yeah. <laughs> Too much I, I, heaven to lose and too much hell to gain. I would love, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we will ever be alive to see this, but it would be really cool if there was a species of alien, alien mm. life form that was that was immortal. They lived mm. infinite. And yeah. they just came on our planet and they just sat there and they just laughed their fucking ass off. They're like, oh, yeah. look at these fucking mortals. You know, they pulled out. They're like, they could die. And they're just sitting and they're laughing at us. My point is, we're, we die. We're made out of, you know, we're made yeah. out of fucking blood and guts and tissue and yeah. slime. We're just a bunch of meat bags walking around. There are species out there that probably don't even think we're even worth their time because of how meaningless yeah. we are. I, I mean, yeah. we put ourselves on these pedestals. Let me tell you something. A person pulls out a knife or a bullet. Trust me, honey. You you ain't coming. You ain't coming out of that alive. Uh, 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 with Jesus, Allah, Gandhi, <laughs> you dying, and no one's yeah. gonna stop you. Yeah, no. And I I think you're right. Like, and I I'm optimistic that human beings will reach immortality at some point. Um, and then if and when that does happen, those guys will look back at us today or the last. 200,000 years of human evolution. They were like these poor people that had to dream up these <laughs> incredibly creative scenarios where where things make sense, where these short lifespans make sense and what's the meaning of it all. It's once you have eternal life, eternal life, once you're once you're not worried about your mortality anymore, then you can just live. And we you and I are trying to kind of do this now knowing that the full weight of mortality is on its way and kind of trying to stare in the face of the abyss and just say, fuck you, I just have one life, so I may as well live it. But with immortality, this cosmic burden is lifted and then you can just be without this kind of clash of, of, you know, life versus the eternal impending darkness. I mean, we're, we're bound. We're bound by a vessel, by a body, uh, you know, if you think about it, in many ways, we we are limited because of it. But in many ways, we have we have the strength 
you know, it, being a very highly intelligent animals. Yes, we are animals. We're mammals. Okay, for anyone that's curious. Um, but, you know, we're at a point where we're, we're, we're at the precipice of this whole race thing. Where a lot of people are like, so, so they're black. Okay, and yeah. therefore, therefore, but, but, yeah. uh, you know, we'll get to a point where people will look back at that and they're like, oh my God, there was a time that we judged each yeah. other because the melanin yeah. in our skin. Oh my yeah. God. What was wrong? Like, what was wrong with those people? Yeah. We have to remember that the future takes a long time to build, which means, yeah. unfortunately, probably the two of us are probably not going to be alive for it. But you know no. what? That's okay. Yeah. I get to be one of those people, and you get to be one of those people. And so, you know what? We were a part of that society, but we saw things differently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, talking about death and the our, our approach to it, I kind of try to, every so often, like, do a bit of, I guess, meditation, but try to, like, identify myself with the common humanity in everyone so that I'm not just so that I'm not just thinking what makes me, me is all of these highly specific things and these events of my life. I'm trying to identify myself a little bit more with the humanity, the emotions that I feel that are shared among all human beings. And then, okay, well, if I die, if <laughs> Freudian slip, when I die, then, well, the things that I valued about myself live on because all of these people with their consciousness and thoughts and feelings, there will be people who live and think and feel. So does this specific instantiation of consciousness matter that much? Or is it just as long as someone, as long as some group of people survive, then I'm okay with it. I mean, if you think about it, uh, there were OTD members that were pioneers years ago mm. bob dylan mm. barbara streisand you know, know they, they were pioneers they were people that grew up in the environment and they escaped mm. and they created mm. incredible lives for themselves yeah. uh we are at a point where more and more people are leaving mm. and really incredible people are coming out of it activists yeah. fighters yeah. visionaries yeah. it's crazy how they've been kept under under doors for so long, but um, God, how long have you been talking? <laughs> I feel like it's been over uh, for damn. nearly two hours. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. I probably have to get to bed soon. You probably have to go to bed too. But um, I really enjoyed this uh, this this conversation. This is really fun. <laughs> thank you for joining, and uh, for all you Enjoy. groovy listeners that are listening, we hope you take this well. Hopefully, your uh, your edibles have kicked in by this point. <laughs> And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you eventually, sometime. Oh, uh, before I forget, do you have any um, do you have like any social links or anything that if anybody wants to uh, reach out or if they have any questions? Uh, sure, I have a Twitter, which I think my username is just Aaron Adler, A R O N underscore A D L E R. Um, follow me there if you want. Send me okay. a message. I'll uh, I'll put that link below, but uh, otherwise we'll see you eventually, sometime. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you. All right. Bye. Thanks. We have reached the end. Well, not really. It's just the end of the podcast. We really appreciate your support, listening, 
and our guests that come on that share their incredible stories. Be sure to check out our description box. We have social links where you can find us all over the place. And also our other podcast, Jam Bam with Mike and Dave. So here's to next week on Lost in the Groove. <laughs>